just thought that I was going to die. I started to uh, spit up blood and I could see it on the ground. And I suddenly just felt very tired. She pulled out a gun. She said, you do it again, bitch, and I'll shoot you. It was just a white, frozen world. No tracks, no cars, no red lights, nothing. And I knew right then that I, you know, I was, I was done. I kind of looked over at me and uh, kind of gave me this look and was like, so, you said you'll do anything. This is I Survived. She had suggested that we just go for a walk because there was sort of like some nice scenic area right by her home. As we were at the spot at the marina, skipping rocks, a truck pulled up and out came this guy. Um, he opened up his passenger door and out jumps this big Rottweiler. And the guy was like, oh, don't worry. You know, he loves the water. I bring him down here all the time. After maybe about five minutes of chit-chat, he uh, got his dog back into the truck, asked us if we needed a ride anywhere, and we said no. And he drove off. As we were walking out, um, I guess he turned around behind us and he came up behind us and blocked our path with his truck. He opened the door and stepped out and he was holding a gun. <laughs> to be completely honest, it felt like I had kind of stepped into a nightmare or a bad movie. It didn't feel real at all. He just motioned with a gun and he said, get in the truck. And Danny and I were both dumbfounded. It was a red um, Ford pickup truck. It had a um, like a cap on the back of the bed of the truck. He opened the rear trunk and told us both to get in. And as soon as Danny had gotten in, he changed his mind and told her he wanted her in the cab with him, but told me to get into the back with uh, his dog. The dog was huge, and I've never had a dog before, and they've always made me pretty nervous, but he seemed really friendly. I did have a cell phone, and as soon as we started driving, I got the phone out, and I tried to call 911, but it simply didn't have any coverage down there. I remember just very clearly and vividly thinking, I'm going to die today. Today is the last day of my life. At this time, he started saying stuff to me like he was kidnapping us because my dad owed a whole bunch of money for this drug company and that he wasn't paying so he was kidnapping me for ransom money and I completely did not believe anything that he was saying. He actually passed right by my house which was another thing like he didn't tell me to duck or anything um, so obviously I knew that he did not know me at all. He didn't know where I lived because we passed right by my house. As we were driving by, I saw actually my stepdad and my brother were standing out on the porch. My brother and I made eye contact with each other and I put my hand up like this so he would so he would see me and my brother actually waved back to me. So I knew that he had seen me. Um, and I, I don't really know what was going through my head at that time, but it almost felt like that was the last time I was going to see my home. 
We'd spent the whole winter without any snow, just cold weather. And to wake up in the morning and see this blanket of white, fallen, fluffy snow was awesome. I mean, the first thing I thought is, how oh, we get to go snowmobiling today, you know? We are fortunate because we live on the frozen river, and there's snowmobiling and ice fishing, and we took off right from our homes and uh, went up the river. It's very common to ride on a river in Wisconsin. A lot of the trails are on the rivers. When we got to the trail system, we found out that there, um, nothing was marked. And since it's in a remote wooded area, it's really hard to uh, find your way around. So we decided to go back to the river because it's a lot easier to navigate that way. So I, I took off and a, a couple uh, seconds, uh, I was out into the middle of this river and the whole river just exploded. I saw his sled turn on the side and go straight down and I saw him in the water fighting to uh, stay afloat. If you've ever jumped in ice water, it just sucks the life right out of you. I mean, just all your air leaves your body and uh, it's, it, it's, it's painful. I had a helmet on, aviator-style helmet on my head, so I couldn't see anything. I was in a tunnel already, and the weight of my clothing and uh, the boots and everything was like pulling me like a tow cable uh, to the bottom. I immediately got off and ran to his position on that side of the shoreline where I could be parallel with him. I yelled his name and I screamed as loud as I could scream. But I knew somehow that he couldn't hear me. I thought, you know, there's only 15 minutes. I'm gonna get hypothermia and uh, I'm gonna die if I don't get out of here. So what I did was, almost immediately, I uh, uh, looked at the sky and I could see the two treetops off in the distance and, and they maybe were 100, 200 yards away. I took off kind of in a, in a backstroke, uh, throwing both of my arms over my head at the same time because I couldn't lean forward. I, I couldn't breathe leaning forward. I had to go backwards. He just was doing everything he could to break the ice to keep, to try to go the direction he was started, which was the wrong way. He just continued to go further out into the river. I thought I'd better get on my machine and head south to where I thought was good ice, get across the river and get to that house to get help. Just as I thought to myself, you know, you should probably pick up your speed. The river took me too. My machine sank and I was struggling for my life. I just went down to the parking garage, it was some levels down, and as soon as I got through the door, I noticed that there was a car full of guys that looked like hoodlums, and they looked like they didn't belong there, and um, I was scared. I was really afraid because as soon as I looked at them, they looked at me, and I knew that I was suddenly the center of their attention and there was no one else around so 
I was trying to think of how I could escape. As I started running towards my car, they started running towards me, and there was one big guy, and he just ran up and just punched me in the face. So I had my hands up. I said, what, what, what do you want? I was trying to give them my car keys and my purse. He punched me so hard, I fell backwards. And then I just felt blood gushing everywhere. I was panicking, jumped up, and that's when they started to pick me up. Each one of them had a, a limb, and they were carrying me over towards my car. So I was kicking them, scratching them, punching, doing everything that I could. I was wiggling around. I was just doing everything that my mom had taught me to do if anyone ever tried to kidnap me. She said that if someone ever tries to kidnap you and they try and take you to another location, you need to do whatever you can to get away because nine times out of ten you're not coming back alive. I thought they were going to kill me because they kept saying that. They kept saying, shut up, bitch, before we kill you, and just punching me. So I thought that it was over for me. told us to walk down to the bank and he uh, just walked behind us and had us stand next to each other right by the water and kept trying to express to us how uh, helpless he was and how bad he felt about the fact that he would have to do this, that he would have to kidnap us and that he would have to kill us. To emphasize his point, he would shoot the gun into the river and he shot it like um, two or three times to kind of emphasize his points. And that was the first time that I had heard the gun go off. So that made it even more real. It was extremely terrifying. And the longer we stood out there, the longer we realized how desperate and dangerous this situation was. And so we really just started to to plead with him. Dan, like, the whole time was, like, like pleading stuff, like, you know, I'll give you my wallet. I even have, like, a laptop at home. I have my car. I'll give you my car. I'll give you whatever you want. Just please let us go. Don't hurt us. He said that we'd seen his face, and there was no way that he could ever let us go. At that point, when he turned us around and led us back to the truck, I was pretty certain that we would die. Either this man was crazy or he really was on some sort of a mission to kidnap and murder us and he wasn't going to stop until he was done. At that point when we got back into the truck, you know, because of course we were both pleading like, you know, um, we'll do anything, just please don't hurt us. Um, he kind of looked over at me and uh, kind of gave me this look and was like, so, you said you'll do anything. At that point, it hadn't crossed my mind at all that it really hadn't, um, but I knew exactly what he was talking about. shot my uh, mittens off my hands now so my hands were open it was painful you know they were frozen and they were um, like axes breaking this ice the helmet was so tight around my throat with the buckle I, I didn't have the ability to hardly breathe let alone uh, go underwater and try to get my helmet off I could barely see out of it. You can only see forward. You have no lateral vision. It's it's like a it's like a tunnel right right here. 
couldn't hear my brother. I didn't know if he was in the river. And all I knew was the tops of these two tall trees, and that was where I was going. I went into the river about 100 yards offshore, about a half mile south of my brother. As every minute passed, and I was fighting to, to bust my way to shore, it felt like I had moved like 50 yards, and I turned around and I saw where I had gone in, and the small track I had made towards shore, and it was like 15 to 20 feet. It came to a point where I didn't think I was gonna make it because I was really getting cold. And I took my helmet off and I threw it towards shore in a attempt to say, you know, this is where I went in. I said, if they find my helmet, then they'll know where to start looking for us. I took off my gloves and I started kicking off my boots because I thought I had to lighten myself to get up on the ice. And that's when I saw my wedding ring yeah, on my left hand shining. You know, it was, uh, was uh, my hand was up on the ice and I, everything just started swimming over me and emotional, my, my kids, my four children, my wife. I switched to that survival mode at that point and just said, I have to get out. I finally got up far enough on the ice where I could shimmy my way up onto the ice and I did get out of the water, finally. And I laid there on the ice and I just started to cry because I didn't have the, I had no boots, I had bare feet. I was just real cold, I couldn't feel my hand or my legs below my knees and my arms below my elbows. Nothing was really working. And I laid on the ice and I just cried and said, what am I gonna do? They carried me to my car and popped the trunk. So I was, you know, trying to grab onto the bumper, anything that I could to not get my body entirely into the trunk. I was doing and eventually they pushed me in and he closed it a moment of panic but I realized I still had my phone and it happened to flip open and when it did that the light automatically came on and it was able to kind of illuminate my trunk and I realized that most new cars have a trunk release button so I popped it tried to hop out. They all came rushing back, punching me in the face, and I felt a, a splash in my face. It smelled kind of like um, ammonia, and it was burning really badly. So I was panicking, like, oh my goodness, uh, I can't see, I'm blind. And he took my phone away and stuffed me back into the trunk. Turns out that it was acid. It had burned through my winter coat, my pants, everything in my trunk was burned. And I started to cry, but I think my tears ended up helping me because it ended up flushing the acid out of my eyes. My mom passed away in February of 2005, and she was a Chicago police officer for about 14 years. Um, and I, I honestly, I heard her voice. In that moment when I was in the trunk, I heard, Car, you better fight and you better get out of here. That, and that was enough for me to just say, okay, I have to get, I have to go. Or else I'm gonna die. kind of looked over at me and uh, kind of gave me this look and was like, 
So he said, you'll do anything. And I, and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do this. Um, then, then, you know, he'll let us go. He'll have gotten what he wanted and, and that'll be it. And that it'll be done with and it'll be over and we'll be alive. I kind of just, you know, nodded my head. Um, and he was like, take off your clothes. And that, at that point he raped me. And actually in, in the middle of that, Dan, I remember this, Dan actually lifted his head up. And I was trying to look through the back window when he noticed me, he said, keep your effing head down. And so I just, I realized what was going on and I, I just buried my head and, uh, and just prayed that Danny would be taken away from that. I just, I felt terrible, but I didn't think that there was really anything that I could do. You know, I, like, I wasn't, I wasn't even there. It was just, it was just my body. It was, it's almost, when I, when I think about it, like, it's almost like third person watching it, you know, in my memory. What I remember um, next is that he basically, you know, um, he started pulling on his pants and he was like, just get out of the truck. And he instructed me to get out the back again. Again, I had to climb out. And at this point, I was like, okay, he got what he wanted from us. He's just going to let us go. Everything's going to be fine. We'll get back home. And, and this will all be just like a bad nightmare. He told us once again to walk down to the bank. And Danny asked him, she said, now you're going to let us go, right? And he said, yes. He said he was going to let us go. I was just praying <laughs> with all my heart that he would, just, he, he would just get into his truck and just leave us. At some point, I must have tried to turn around to see what he was going to do. And I just felt this tremendous force that was so powerful and so fast that my mind couldn't keep even keep up with it and everything sort of slowed down as I fell to the ground. He was lying on the ground. I saw blood coming out of his mouth. And at that moment, I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> That's it. And I laid there on the ice and I just started to cry. At that point, I, I just, the guilt came over me again saying, you're safe, you need to save your brother. And I got up and I started hobbling back towards where my brother had gone in. I thought I heard my brother calling for me but uh, I just couldn't see him and I didn't really know if I was hearing him. I didn't know, it's like, you know, th is this a fairy tale? Is he really there? Am I, you know, are you gonna survive this? I started inching my way out on the ice on my hands and knees. The ice groaned and creaked under me and cracked. So I laid down on my belly and I started inching my way out on the ice and I got halfway across the ice and the ice was just so thin, I could see the water under it. I froze. Halfway across, I just froze in fear. The cold was getting so deep into my body and my, and my ribs uh, wouldn't expand. 
the next moment I really remember is being under the surface of the water and looking up and everything was blurry and my helmet was full of water and I don't know how I got down there but I I was at the bottom of the river it's like 12 feet deep there right then I knew I was you know gonna die I heard one of the guys jump into my car and I had actually tried to pull the centerpiece down and I was able to see him in my driver's seat. So I couldn't figure out if I was going to try and push through the middle part and climb through or if I was going to jump out of the trunk again. I decided to pop the trunk again, but I kept it closed as tightly as I could because the, the other guys had jumped into a car that was trailing my car. So I kept it closed and I knew it took exactly four revolutions down the ramp. I just held tight and I knew that every time we were going around, I kind of went to the right. So I just counted and waited. And as soon as I saw the light, I jumped out of the trunk. I actually rolled into the other car and the other car immediately pumped the brakes and stopped. So I could hear it go That's when I knew I wasn't hit because the bumper was like right above my head. I jumped up and I realized that one of my neighbors happened to be walking either in or out of the building and I screamed and asked him for help. The cars just took off and I ran inside and I explained to them, I'm like, please call 911. Some men just tried to kill me and kidnap me, help me. The police came almost immediately. I was a mess. The jacket that I had on was eaten away by acid. There was blood everywhere. And that's how they knew that something is really wrong here. There was no physical evidence to convict any of them on the kidnapping and the auto theft, the assault, all of these things that they did to me. I think that these people targeted me because I was dating someone who was not the person that I thought he was. And, you know, later found out that he had an extensive criminal record and police have told me that he may have, you know, done something to these people to make them really upset. And instead of them going after him, they went after the closest person to him. I moved back to the suburbs where my dad was living. And that's where I felt safest. Since none of them had been arrested, I was afraid that something else might happen to me. And unfortunately, something else did happen. tell that I, I was bleeding, but I wasn't sure from where. I uh, just thought that I was going to die. I thought there was 
no chance. I started to uh, spit up blood, and I could see it on the ground. And I suddenly just felt very tired. And that's where I saw, um, you know, the blood coming out of his mouth, and I... And I turned to the left, and I kneeled down at him so we could talk. We were saying goodbye to each other. You know, I love you. Um, and then he closed his eyes. The next thing I remember is hearing some loud bangs. And, the, I mean, the next thing I remember was blackness. As it hit her, she fell backwards into the water. After she had fallen into the water backwards, he fired again at her. Then I hit the water, the, the, the frigid water, and I immediately woke up. I was immediately coherent again and wide awake and, and somehow realized exactly what situation I was in and exactly where I was and exactly what had happened. I came to, and I was actually floating in the river, and um, at that point I realized that I actually had been shot. Um, I actually had been sh shot through the jaw. I couldn't move my left leg either, so I, I, I figured that I had been shot in my leg also. In, in the river, I started, I was spitting out, like, pieces of tooth. You know, I could feel my um, tongue flopping around in my mouth. As I'm in this frigid water, I realize he's standing at the bank looking at me, and so I did my best to play dead and just try to float along with the current and just let him believe that, okay, he had shot me and I had died and now my body was just going to float down the river. We were actually like in the middle of the river, um, staring towards shore, watching the sky, staring at us. feet deep there and uh, I saw the surface and I swam up for it and I was furious I was absolutely positively as mad as I've ever been in my life I dropped all my adrenaline uh, into my bloodstream because it was the last ditch it was here's the last boost of energy when I came up and I saw the tree and I and I started busting the ice again and it hurt so bad I remember looking at the trees and saying okay I can look now and if I'm gonna if I'm gonna live there's gonna be EMS a fire truck a helicopter uh, guys in uh, firemen suits and I remember looking at the tree and following it down to the base with my, you know, with my mouth underwater and uh, seeing there was nobody there. It was just a white, uh, frozen world. No tracks, no cars, no red lights, nothing. And I knew right then that I, you know, I was, I was done. It was so thin, no idea it was that thin under that snow. And uh, I froze. And then those emotions flew over me again, saying, my brother's still in the water, he's holding on, and you're alive. Get yourself, get some help. 
I had gone another 50 yards or so, and then I broke through again. And uh, I was probably 25 yards from shore. And I worked my way to where I could get up on the ice again and got out. And I started running, and I, it was more of a shuffle through the snow with my bare feet. And I was throwing up. Running is an arduous task when you're hypothermic and your suit is frozen solid. It was, it was frozen like a steel suit. It was so heavy, drenched with water, that I would fall down and just try to get back up, but I was so exhausted. person who had punched me in the face and tried to kill me so I looked at him he looked at me I panicked it was at that moment that I knew either he lived in the building or he was a guest of someone in the building and that was shattering for me that this man who had attacked me could possibly live in the same building as me it was very scary I called the detectives I'd been working with, and they actually had me come in a week later to um, identify him, and I did. When the police went to serve his, him his warrant and arrest him, he was caught throwing drugs over his balcony window. There was no physical evidence to connect him to what had happened to me. So that was a huge disappointment for me. left her apartment, I started walking towards my car. I think it was like 10 o'clock at night, so there was no one else on this residential street. Then I noticed, um, just like a few cars away from mine, there were two women standing outside. And again, they just didn't look like they belonged there. And the two women started walking towards me, and one of them said, Hey, can you give my sister directions to Dempster? And I was like, Well, if you're in this small town and you don't know where Dempster is, you aren't from here, or you don't belong here. So again, I started running towards my car. They started running towards me. I had on flip-flops that day, unfortunately. I made it to my car, and I had gotten in, but one of the women, she pulled out a gun. So she's trying to get her hand with the gun into my car, and I'm using one hand to try and figure out how to, you know, start my car, and the other to slam her hand with the gun in my car door. Eventually, she got the gun all the way in. She said, you do it again, bitch, and I'll shoot you. Put my hands in the air, and I said, here, take my car, take my purse. And then that's when suddenly I felt 
a huge splash into my face. Same smell, same burn. It had happened all over again. As I'm floating, I realize that I can see Danny, too. She realizes that he's still back there as well. He was just standing there, staring at us. And I remember Dan saying to me, he was like, just don't move. If we don't move, he's going to think that we're dead. We couldn't believe that that had just happened and that we were still alive. And we were terribly frightened that he was going to try to come and finish us off. Eventually, we watched him get back in his truck, and he, and he left. And that's when Dan was like, okay, we got to sh- swim towards shore. I mean, Dan, like, I wanted to just fall asleep, pass out. I mean, I couldn't talk. I couldn't move one of my legs. I was just exhausted. So Dan was just, like, guiding me this whole time. We started swimming towards shore, and that's actually when we saw a guy, like, sitting up there on a, on a chair, like, up on, the, up on this hill. And we were trying to, like, call out. Every time I would talk, I'd feel my tongue, like, you know, bouncing, like, in my mouth. I don't know how he understood us, but we kept saying, you know, we've been shot, we've been shot, we need help, we need help. As we got close, the, uh, the older man was coming down to us, and he said, there's a pickup truck coming, I'm going to stop them and get help. We saw a red truck again. And of course, the first thing that like went through our minds was like, oh my gosh, he's back. When we screamed and we were like, no, don't, don't go up there. Don't get that guy. Um, he's the one who shot us, but he either didn't hear us or didn't understand what we were saying. And so as soon as he ran back towards this, this truck, we tried to get back into the water and decided we were gonna try to swim away. We swam back into the river and, um, and then as, as Dan looked back, um, he said, no, that's not him. Those are other people to save us. That's when he came back with two other men and asked us, you know, what, why are you back in the water again? He's like, get, get back up here. One of the other guys kind of dragged me up further onto the shore, and he put his coat over me and put his hat on me to keep me warm. I felt safe at that point, I did. Running is an arduous task when you're hypothermic and your suit is frozen solid. I I finally ended up uh, taking my suit off and what I had underneath was long underwear and that was a lot easier to run. When I got to the house I I told him to dial 911 that my brother had died in the river. He's been in the water an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half and there's no way he's still alive. I just took off running again towards where my brother's last position where I knew where he was. I couldn't see any of his body. I thought it was just his helmet. I thought he had got his helmet off and then he had sunk or something. And, and I started inching my way out to my where my brother's helmet was. Then I saw his hand moving just below the water surface and I said, oh my God, he's still alive. My throat was frozen, my ribs were frozen. I was breathing with my stomach 
um, muscles right when I was going to quit, right when I, you know, I tried to reach my hand up and touch the ice and it snapped off. And that's right when my brother said, hang on, Dave, I'm coming. And, you know, it, I, I couldn't believe it, you know, that he was actually, you know, I, he was coming. The next thing I remember is, is my brother grabbing me by the chin, by the, by the, of my helmet and yanking me out of the river and saying, you know, Dave, I love you. I love you so much. Hang on. At the same time, I heard the ambulance coming. I could hear it off in the distance coming down the road. And the joy that I felt from that point, just thinking that we had both made it, you know, it was pretty elating, you know. Only this time, it was way more powerful. It was way worse. So I, ha I had my hands in the air, and you can see that I have burns. I, have, I was in a surrender position. Jumped out of the car screaming for my life, and my clothes were just melting off of my body. So. I'm screaming and I see them looking at me, just looking at me. I, I didn't know if they were just waiting for me to die or, you know, they were that sadistic or they didn't realize the power of what they'd done to me. So I, I ran quickly up the stairs into my cousin's house. I kept feeling like I was going blind almost. But what happened was the acid got into my eyes again and my contact had almost melted onto my eye. I remember my cousin calling 911 and I kept saying, those girls, those girls, these were the same two women who were in the apartment building walking into the lobby with that guy. My attacker had been arrested about a month after he first attacked me. And after the second attack, when I saw the two women, I knew, you know, they know each other somehow, some way, so he must have sent them after me. through something like that you suddenly have a new identity once you're burned I don't just have physical scars I obviously have a lot of emotional scars too from this I'm careful about who I allow to come into my life and it's just taken me a long time to even move out on my own again and um, just trust people the same. I survived because I listened to that little voice inside of me that told me I had to get away and I had to fight back. the most beautiful thing my brother could 
go through what he went through and pull me, pull me out of there. If I didn't think he was coming to save me, if I didn't, I never would have paddled as hard as I did for as long as I did. I, I knew I had to give him time. I, I knew he would do it. He was in an incredible shape, and I think that helped him. And not only that, his drive to live. It's just a love for your family. I love my brother, and you can't imagine the horror of watching a loved one die slowly in front of you. It was very humbling, and it was scary. But it's the instinct you have for family to do what you have to do to make sure that they survive. In some ways, initially, he, he took away my faith in humanity, and that was probably the hardest thing. My friends were going out to parties and, you know, seemed like they didn't have a care in the world, and at some points I was afraid to go to the library by myself at night. It was just across campus. So I had to, I had to learn how to do all that again. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what would have happened if either one of us wouldn't have made it, but I think we, together, you know, um, we just, I don't know, we just have a strength that just unites us, you know. I think that I survived so that Danny would be all right. And I think that in some ways she survived so that I'd be all right because I don't think if either one of us were in that situation by ourselves, we'd still be around today. <laughs>